If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and I'll run one down to you. We're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in the book of Corinthians. You know, in recapping, the Corinthian church was very fractured. There was a lot of division taking place. We saw at the very beginning that Paul didn't have a good rapport with some of the people. Some were saying that they were from Apollo, some of Cephas, Peter, some of Paul. And Paul went on to say that Christ is not divided, that Paul didn't die for them, that it really is about the power of Jesus. The most important thing is the power of the gospel, what God has done through the crucifixion of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the power of God to salvation. And so that was his foundation laying that you guys need to stop this fracturing of who you are a part of and what you belong to and understand that we are part of something much bigger. We are part of the body of Christ. And that's going to go on to be described in some length. And so Paul dealt with some issues that were taking place there at the church. And then he's trying to bring these people together as they are supposed to represent and as we are supposed to represent the body of Christ to the world. And in chapter 8, we begin to talk about this unity. Remember chapter 7, we started seeing that Paul was actually answering some questions that they had written to him. And we're going to see that he's continuing to answer those questions But he's going to start talking about this unity, and it's going to go on for a number of chapters. And he's talking specifically in this time about our rights and our freedoms. And you know, when you talk about rights and freedoms to us in the United States, that's kind of what we are all about. It becomes our identity. We are free. And we are the land of the free. And that freedom has become something that we believe is more important than anything else, our individual rights. But what do we do with this idea of individual rights and freedom when you bring it into a community? When you bring it into a faith community, what part does it play in the whole? And let's read the entire chapter. It's only 13 verses, and then we'll go back through it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1, it says, Now, about food sacrificed to idols. You see, he's answering a question. He's not just saying, hey, I think I'll talk about food. He's answering something that they asked, just in case you were wondering, where are we starting from here? We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat 
and know better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat that which has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Paul starts off and he tells us that knowledge is not how we discern how to use our rights and freedom, but love is. That knowledge is insufficient in dealing with the community to be able to tell us what to do. Now, this is something that we have a hard time understanding. Again, this context is something that is a bit foreign to us. When they talked about eating food that was sacrificed to idols, there were many temples in Corinth, and they were kind of the restaurants of the day. As verse 10 talks about if they see you eating in an idol's temple, and you think, what's this Christian doing in an idol's temple? Well, he's eating dinner. You know, you, you go out to Mimi's or you go out to, you know, whatever it is, and it's many times an idol's temple. That's where the food was sacrificed. And what they would do is they would sacrifice the food to this idol. They would bring it out onto the table, and sometimes they would even actually put a plate that was there at an empty seat representing this is for the idol that we sacrifice to. And then the people would come and say, great, we got more food. No one's going to eat that, so we get to eat it. You know, the, the Christians say, there is no idol. It's no big deal. I don't care about that. We have this understanding. Or they could take the food to go. You know, they will have, you know, one idol plate to go, you know, and they would take it out and they would take these home, but they would know that this food came from this temple where they sacrificed to these idols, to these other gods. And many of those who were in Corinth who came to faith in Christ used to worship at these places. And so we have this dynamic that's taking place in there. And he tells us that knowledge puffs up. In other words, knowledge builds up a kind of pride. And, and I think we've all experienced this. Have you ever studied about something and got to know it pretty well? And then someone wants to talk about it? You love talking about things you know about because I can chime in and I studied about this and it doesn't matter if it's history, it doesn't matter if it's spiritual things, if it's biblical things, it, it, if you go to school, if you go to seminary, wherever you go, when you learn something and you have knowledge about it, you like to talk about those things. You, you get kind of into those things and knowledge does bring in this pride, but Love builds up, which has to do with others. It has to do with giving and not just exalting yourself. And there's a contrast that he says here. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. What he's talking about here is that your knowledge is not as complete as you might think it is. Because what your knowledge needs is discernment from God. 
You don't know as you ought to know because you don't know what this person is feeling, what they've gone through, and for that you need discernment which comes from God. So this isn't just some blank statement saying, well, no one knows anything as we ought to know. This is talking about in a community, you don't have, your knowledge is insufficient to deal with your brother or your sister because what's necessary for that is discernment on where they were at. And just because you know something doesn't mean you really know what is going on. For that, you need discernment from God. The man who loves God is known by God, meaning that God will give to them what is necessary for this situation. And so we see it's not about studying all these things and getting all our points in a row. You know, I've studied all about, and you can pick your topic. You know, I've done studies on alcohol, whether you can drink or not drink, or dance, whether you can dance or not dance. I've studied, and I can answer these questions. Well, you might have a lot of information, but do you know, have discernment of where this person is at? Because God cares about that. And your knowledge isn't enough to answer that question. You know, most people in religion want rules. They want a, a set of rules that they can follow. And we always want to go back to that. Can you just tell me, what can I do, what can't I do? Give me a list so I know what to follow and what I can't follow. And religion always wants rules, but what if God didn't give a ton of rules? What if God gave freedom? Religious people hate that. Freedom? Okay, I'm going to use my freedom to study so I can make a bunch of rules. And that's what we do. But you see, there's something more that's going on and there's a dynamic that takes place that you have to be aware of. And those of you who have raised more than one child know what this means because you can't deal with all your children exactly the same. Some of them, you look at them, they start crying. And others, you look at them and you start crying. (laughs) you have to deal with the dynamic of your child they're different and the same thing with us as as people and as a community of faith we can't have a list of rules and just throw it out and this is for everybody all these things of course there are things that are right and wrong that are obvious that scripture highlights but there are so many areas that aren't. And we have to have discernment. You know, people use their freedoms to study these things and then they try and bring in structure. You know, people ask me, what's your stance on alcohol? I don't have a stance. I know that it can be abused and and lead to drunkenness, just like working for money can lead to greed. But I know that if you go up north in Napa, Everybody has wine because they're all working around that industry. And if you go to Europe, it's not a big deal. But if you come to some places, it is a big deal. But I know the evils that are involved with alcohol. I know those things. I'm aware of that. But I'm not going to lay a rule that is not there to be laid. The responsibility comes to know the people you're talking with to interact and have that dynamic with these people. When you study something and you find out information, that information can be used as a benefit or it can be used as a detriment if you're not sensitive to the situation. 
Years ago, I used to go to a, a place called Melody Land. It was across the street from Disneyland. It was a church meeting, and they had different meeting places where they went. And I went to a couple of them. I went to Dr. Walter Martin because I loved his teaching and studying about the cults. And there was also a John Warwick Montgomery who was this apologetics guy who was really this really intelligent guy. And I thought if I just went there, maybe I'd get intelligent. Just shows it doesn't always work. But anyway... I would go to Walter Martin's class and he would talk about the cults very much. He wrote a book, The Kingdom of the Cults. He was one of the kind of founding experts in Christianity for a number of years, dealing with the cults, exposing what they believed. And I remember at one time he talked about just this ability to, to talk with people and have the answers, but he said it in this way. He said, Mormon pancakes don't make good Christians. And that was his way of saying, if you slam someone, it usually doesn't result in something good. And so your knowledge isn't meant to just slam people. It's meant to bring them, build them up to the truth. And when you have that knowledge, you have this, I know, I, I, I know this. I, I'm going to answer this. I'm going to fix, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on. And you get excited about it. And you want to talk. You wait for the Mormons to come when you know about that. I remember I had these Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door, and they always come early on Saturday morning. And, and I, you know, wasn't awake, but I was excited because I was studying about Mormons, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses, and so they knocked on the door, and I was like in my pajamas, my hair's all gumby, you know, and I'm all just like, oh, man, uh, yeah, hang on, come on in. And I let them in, they came in, and, you know, I just kind of got presentable, and I started, I had gone to, uh, I don't know why I'm telling this story. Anyway, uh, I had gone to a, uh, Kingdom Hall where they meet and I had bought their interlinear translation because I knew there were some errors in that. I had this information. And so they came in and I started dialoguing with them and I was waiting to get to this point where I could bring out their interlinear translation and show them the discrepancy with who Jesus was and then there was another doc knock on the door and I was talking so long with these two that the other two came looking for them and so they came in and so I had <clears throat> I had these Four Jehovah's Witnesses sitting there. I'm here like in my sweats, you know, just woken up. I've got their inner linear. I was just so excited to talk to them. But you see, the information does no good if I can't bring them to a place of understanding, if I don't know the dynamic. And you always get some that are very cold and very hardened, and they're just, not, they're just there doing their job. And then you've got the younger ones who are kind of interested. And so you kind of focus on the ones that are interested and kind of ignore the ones who you know they're not listening you have to have discernment. And your knowledge is of no use if there is not discernment involved. And so knowledge puffs up. It, it's about you. But love is about others. And if we had that understanding, we would recognize that the more information that you have, it has to be mixed with the discernment of God that will give it value in a community. Knowledge alone is insufficient to build the community. Knowledge moves us to individuality, but love moves us to humility and moves us together. And that's true in marriages, it's true in families, it's true in our Christian community. We need love to move us together. Let's read verses 4 through 6. Paul goes on and he says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, 
Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Paul is telling us that the lens that we need to see through in our, we need to see ourselves through is going to be in relationship to others, that we have one God. And though he acknowledges that what they believe is true, in other words, your knowledge is correct, there is only one God, but he also acknowledges, yet there are a lot of people who believe in other gods. And so we know there is one God, but experientially there are people who believe in many gods. Just like we know that the love of money, uh, greed, pleasure, lust, those are all forms of idolatry that we see in our society today. And to say that those things aren't God and don't need to be worshipped is true, but we know that there are people who worship those things. And so because we know there is one God, it does not mean there aren't people worshipping these other gods. And so Paul says, we know that the truth is this, but we also know the truth is there are a lot of people who are worshipping these other gods. Gods, And you'll notice it's a small g. It's not the God. And so Paul is bringing to a conclusion here, you know this is true, but you also know this is true. And then he brings again the idea of unity. He defines God as the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. You see, we live for the glory of God and we live through Jesus Christ, he says. We do not stand on individual rights. We belong to this family. We have a father, all of us, and we have an identity, Jesus Christ, that we live through. And so this isn't about me establishing my ways and what I want to establish as right. This is a matter of God being our father and us living our life in this community in the lens that we are not individuals, but we belong together. And it's real important that we recognize that. Otherwise, it does, again, the knowledge divides us. It becomes about me. I become puffed up. I become individualistic. And we have to understand that the foundation that we live on is the one that God has given us. It's not our own. It's what God has presented to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so once again, the character of who Jesus is is to be our character. Was Jesus about himself? No, he gave himself. He became a servant of all. If anyone had the right to be served, it was Jesus. If anyone knew it all, it was Jesus, yet he didn't act like a know-it-all. But how many times do we encounter a person of faith who acts like a know-it-all? Have you ever met one of those? I've been one of those, okay? I... I I empathize because I know what it's like to act like you know it all and then to come to the conclusion that, man, I don't know as I ought to know. And so the character of Jesus is who we live through. And so Paul is, again, putting us in the lens that we are to see ourselves in relationship to others. In verse 7, he goes on, he says, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, nor are we worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Now, I know some of you would not 
agree with the fact that food does not bring us near to God because I've had some religious experiences <laughs> with some good food. Uh, but again, what Paul is telling us is, is that this knowledge is insufficient because not everyone possesses the same knowledge. People are coming from different places. You, you might have an airtight argument and someone might even say, you know, I understand what you're saying and, and I agree what, what you're saying, but they're still vulnerable because of a weak conscience. They're still vulnerable to, to give in. You might tell someone, you know, scriptures are very clear, it is okay to drink alcohol, but not in excess to get drunk. But if you're talking to a person who is an alcoholic, who has struggle with alcohol, well, you might agree, they might say, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right, so I guess I can go ahead and drink. And you could cause devastation. If you're not discerning and all you're about is that knowledge, that information, you can cause a lot of damage. And so Paul is bringing this to a matter that it doesn't matter really if you eat or if you don't eat. What are you arguing about? What's the big deal? You're no closer to God because you're able to eat this meat, and you're no further away from God. He kind of turns it on them. You know, you're using this freedom. I have the freedom. I can go in these temples. I can eat whatever I want. It doesn't make you any closer to God. So why are you making it an issue? And you see, once again, our freedoms, when they become what we embrace and what we focus on, it can be very detrimental because it is not about us and our freedoms individually. It's about the building up of others. It's about really establishing other people and not tearing them down. He goes on in verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. That's a powerful statement. How many could say I would never eat meat again? Man, that would be just, you know... Anyway, that's not the point. But it is, in a sense, the point of how important this is. Loving care is the only way to exercise your freedom. Love and care for others is the only way to exercise your freedom. It's about caring for other people. If you are unaware of your brother or sister's condition, then you're in a dangerous place. Because Paul talks about the importance of these people, the person for whom Christ died. And that's how he identifies this person. And I wonder, how do we identify people? There's that brother who has the weak conscience. Instead of there's the brother who Christ died for. And you see, this is kind of the opposite of Matthew when Jesus talks about, you know, whenever you help those who were sick or those who were poor. Whatever you did to them, you've done to me. This is kind of the opposite of that, that if you do this to them and cause them to stumble, you're actually causing Christ to stumble. You're actually hurting me, which should catch our attention. 
Because we all want to be the first one. Hey, Lord, when did I help you? I didn't know I helped you. Oh, whenever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And we don't want to be that second category. Huh? What do you mean I, I hurt you, God? Well, whenever you did this and hurt someone else, you hurt me. And again, we have to recognize that we are connected to each other, that we are a body. And again, we like to romanticize that. You know, when one member hurts, we all hurt. Yes, that sounds beautiful. But when one member messes up, you mess everyone up. We don't like that responsibility. We don't want to own the responsibility that we have to one another. And, and Paul is making it real clear that you need to take care of your brother and build them up. There are people in our lives that need care, that need us to, to watch over and to help and to build up. It's something that we need to recognize that they are there for a purpose. They are there to, to help us in this area. And we need to be aware of that. And, and what happens many times in this scripture, and I've heard this scripture used, I have people say it to me a lot, um, you're causing me to stumble, brother. I remember years ago, I, I put on a, a concert slash dance for an outreach. And th this couple that was there at the church, um, they didn't like the idea of dance, you know. And this was back in punk, and kind of there was some ska dancing. And if you knew the dancing, it wasn't like erotic or anything like that, even though it was called skanking. Um, <laughs> It was just, it was just dancing. <laughs> I know, it's a bad name. Um, but what I, this was something that was very popular with the youth. And again, it wasn't sexual in any way, but they didn't like the idea of dancing. And so they came up to me and they said, you know, you're really causing me to stumble. You know, this is causing me to stumble. And I remember just thinking, wait a second. You mean, you mean to tell me that you're the weak brother, that these 16-year-olds are actually the ones who are stronger? That I have to tell these 16-year-olds, hey, be careful of these people who might be elders in the church because they're the weaker brothers. You see, this isn't something that you can use just because you're offended. I don't like that kind of music. It stumbles me. The idea of it stumbling you is the idea of it is taking you back into false worship, okay? It's real important to understand that so that this doesn't get misused. This is about someone who was worshiping false gods and this now causes them to go back to the place where they are connected to the false gods. And so it has to do with going back to this false belief, this false religion, false way of worship. And so that's what he's talking about. We can't use this every time we're offended with something. I don't like that, you know, hardcore music. It offends me. Well, I don't like your hip-hop music. It offends me. Well, I don't like your disco. It offends me. You know, it's like, well, disco offends everybody. But anyway, <laughs> the idea is not to pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. We live in relationship with each other. It's about not using the freedoms you have that are going to bring your brother to a place where they will fall and they will stumble. And we need to be aware of that and not just use this anytime we don't like something. You know, just because something offends you doesn't mean that it's something you 
shouldn't endure and deal with. And we need to be careful for these brothers, these sisters who might be weak and we can't avoid them. You know, well, I, I want to go, you know, out to dinner, but, or we're going to go to this, you know, wedding ceremony, but so-and-so is here and, you know, they're going to toast with champagne and you know how they feel about champagne. Oh, we're going to hear it, so let's not take them because they're a burden. No, that's the person for whom Christ, Christ died. And so instead of avoiding someone, you need to be there to build them up. I, I've told this story before, but it's one that's important to me. There was a gentleman at our church, an older gentleman named Ed Freed. Ed has passed away. Ed used to come up to me when I was practicing, getting ready and warming up to lead worship, and he would come in like this. <laughs> and he would say, your music is deafening. Not deafening, it's deafening. It's like I'm killing him, you know. He would come in there... And he would just say, your music is deafening. And I was like, sorry, Ed. You know, sorry you don't like my music. You know, God bless you too, you know. <laughs> and Ed and I had this relationship that was, you know, kind of had this contention going on. I loved him. He loved me. But there was this contention. I remember God telling me, be careful how you treat Ed. Because how you treat him is how you treat me. But God, you're not coming like this to me, you know. I mean, think about that. You're, you know, you're playing, oh man, this sounds good, and someone walks in. You know, spirit of encouragement, you know. It's like, but God made it very clear to me that how I treated Ed was how I treated him. And when Ed passed away, he, he passed away, he was a diabetic. And there were a number of times that Ed went into a diabetic seizure. And what I'm so thankful for are the times that I sat with Ed, his head on my lap, giving him orange juice to get him out of that coma. Because Jesus said, that's how you treated me. And you see, it's all about that relationship with one another. We are here to build each other up. And it doesn't matter all these idiosyncrasies that we have. Really what we need to gain from this is our freedom and our individuality is to be used to help. And a lot of us have this idea of, well, I'm just not going to hurt anyone. I'm just going to leave them alone. And we have this idea of neutrality. I'm just not going to get involved with people because it's a hassle. I'd rather not be involved. But that's not right. We're there to build people up. We're there to help them in their faith, even if it's uncomfortable for us. Even if it means when those people come over, you turn off that music. Even if it means, well, I wanted to go see, you know, that movie. And I know that they wouldn't like that movie, you know, because there's too much violence or whatever. They're my brother. I care more about them than the entertainment. I care about them more than I do the food. I care about them more than I do my rights and my individuality. The application here is that this goes both ways. That we can't use our freedom to be a place where we get whatever we want. And at the same time, we can't expect people to do whatever they want. This is about doing what is beneficial for the whole. And how do I assert my rights and authority? 
how am I trying to enforce my freedoms? Am I making it a big deal? Why? What's the advantage if I have that freedom or if I don't? Why would I want to push that if it might cause my brother a hardship? Again, most of us don't want to tear down, but we just want to leave things alone. Just don't bother me. I won't bother you. I'm not going to invite you know, that person out because they don't like the music I like because they don't you know, enjoy the same things I enjoy, and so I just want to stay away from them. And God is saying, that's your brother for whom Christ died. Do you realize that if you offend him and how you treat him, that's how you treat me. Love builds up. And Christ is the basis of our love. Had someone had told me that they had thought that my, quote, style of teaching, <laughs> if I have a style, let me know what it is, because I don't know. Uh, was very relational. And I, I think it was meant, I don't know how it was meant, but it was something that was said, and it's been kind of sticking in my mind, yeah, relational. But you know what? I think relational is an important thing. Yesterday, I was talking to a brother who is, whose life has been turned upside down. He's going through some difficult things, been kicked out of his home, is living with some other people. He's displaced from his children. It's just ugly. It's just ugly. And as I was talking with him, he said, you know, the support that I've gotten from you, from other friends, are the pillars that are holding me up. I never knew how important people were to my life until this happened to me. And now it's opened my eyes, and I realize that without all these people around me, I would crumble. And, and it was... Alarming in some sense because you realize the responsibility you have to support people. That you are there for some people. To help them up. And we live at a time where we think, you don't need me. I, I shared this Thursday night. You know, the people's involvement Thursday night is what made it a great night. Your involvement here is what makes Genesis a great place. Your interaction with each other, you caring, loving, and showing the love of God towards other people is what makes a difference. This isn't a theater. We don't come and hear something and, oh, great, now I go and get some popcorn, get some coffee, and we go home. This is about relationally living with one another and building each other up. And as Paul is going to go through the book of Corinthians, we're going to see the importance this plays, that each member has a part, and you are a part of this body, and you are necessary. You are so necessary. You guys, I need you. My wife and I need you. We need prayer. We need prayer for our kids. We need prayer for things that are going on in our lives, just like you need prayer. There are situations that happen in our lives where we need people beside us to hold us, to strengthen us, to cry with, to call in the middle of the night for help. I need that. I do that. You need that. You can do that. And we want to do that for one another. That's what we are. That's what it means to have the freedom. We are free to build each other up not free to do whatever we want. 
we are free to help each other. That is the mind, the heart of Christ. And I pray that would be our heart and mind as well. Let's pray. Father, I do realize, God, that there is so much needs to be learned from this chapter and what our freedoms will or can do to isolate us, to exalt our ways, to cause divisions, even as it did in the Corinthian church. But I also realize, Lord, that our freedom can cause such good things to happen if we would care as you care, if we would build up as you have built us up, if we would love as you love. And Father, I pray that we would understand this, that we would not live lives of neutrality, Lord, but we would live lives that are involved with one another, that help each other out, Lord, that care for one another, that seek the interest of our neighbor more than ourselves. that we would love others, Father, and we would care about what we do and how it affects them. And Lord, I pray we wouldn't be nitpicky about small things, that we wouldn't be so easily offended. And I pray, Lord, that we would care enough to change our lives to benefit others. Lord, give us this relational balance that we need. Give us discernment that only your spirit can give. Lord, there is not enough information that we can gain. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And there will never be a time where we know enough unless we are known by you and given discernment from you, God. It's only then that we can live as we're supposed to. And I pray that we would seek that, we would desire that, we would be sensitive and mindful of that. God, have your way with us. We do love you, Lord, and we ask you would build up your church and use us to be a part of that. For we ask it in Jesus' name.